Now to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and honor forever and ever. Amen. The word of God to which we turn our attention on this Reformation Sunday is recorded in Paul's letter to the Romans, the third chapter, the 28th verse. It was read previously. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, our Lord, fellow heirs of the Reformation. Today, of course, we remember the resounding hammer blows that sounded 498 years ago yesterday in Wittenberg, Germany, as Martin Luther attached his 95 theses to the door of the castle church there in Wittenberg, an invitation to debate the practice of selling indulgences. But as resounding were the words that Luther spoke nearly three and a half years later at the city of Worms, before the highest powers of church and empire, standing next to a table stacked with his writings. And the question was, will you disavow what you have written? Will you recant what you have written? Trembling, Luther asked for a day to think about things. His life was on the line. Twenty-four hours later, he was summoned back before the Diet. And his response, when asked again, was, I cannot and will not recant anything. For to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. Here I stand. God help me. Amen. When Martin Luther took that stand at the Diet of Worms in 1521, it was a stand on the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the good news that we are saved by God's grace alone through faith in Jesus Christ alone. As we read here in Romans 3.28, this passage that I just read to you serves as a summary and a conclusion for the first three chapters of Romans. This truth of the gospel, that we're saved by faith in Jesus Christ alone, not by our good works, was something that Luther had, I'm sorry, that the, the Apostle Paul had been given by God. God had revealed this to Paul, and he had been contending for it for years already. He had been preaching it, teaching it in the Mediterranean world. That's what he means when he says, we maintain. And the wonderful truth here at Apostles is that it's also true here. You maintain. We together in our Wisconsin Synod maintain that we've been justified by faith without the works of the law. This, too, is a gift of God. For 50 years, this congregation formally has been proclaiming this truth. And so today, with Martin Luther, with the Apostle Paul, we say, here we stand on the truth of the gospel, 
that we've been justified by faith alone. You know, usually when we use that word justified, we mean to say that someone had good reason for doing something. The police officer was justified in firing his weapon. He had good reason to fire his weapon. Perhaps his life was on the line. She had good reason for asking for a raise. She hadn't gotten one in a while. She was doing a lot of the work around there. Justified. But in the Bible, when we run into that word justified, it, it doesn't mean to have good reason for doing something. It's a legal term. It's what the judge does when he's facing the defendant and he says to him, I acquit you. You are not guilty. You are free to go. And the wonderful truth of the Bible is that that's what God has done for us. He has said to us, you are not guilty. And this is such a surprising verdict because we were guilty. We were not innocent. The Apostle has spent the first several chapters of this epistle showing our guilt. He says it doesn't matter whether you're a, a Jew who keeps kosher or a Gentile who's never read the Bible. We are all alike included under sin. There is no one who does good. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. Sounds like hammer blows, doesn't it? As the Apostle Paul is quoting the Old Testament there in the earlier part of Romans chapter 3. You know, the only reasonable reaction when you know what God's law really says is just to zip your lip, just to close your mouth. There's nothing we can do to explain or defend ourselves. We are accountable to God for our sins. Our sins are many. Every mouth may be shut, silenced, the apostle says, and the whole world held accountable to God. Earlier this year, I had the opportunity, I guess for really the first time, to, to be at the sentencing of a person for a serious crime. What had happened is that there had been a, a drug robbery that turned into a murder in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And I read about it in the paper. I knew there were two young men from our town, from Watertown. And I read their names. I didn't recognize the names. I kind of breathed a sigh of relief, but thought how terrible for those families of these young men. Only to find a day later that one of the young men had been baptized in our church and was still on our membership list. And I spoke to his grandmother, and she said, would you go see him? He was in the county jail in Sioux Falls. And I saw him, and, and this young man who we'd never met had been baptized but never got confirmed, hadn't been in our church in years. He was now open to a visit from the pastor he'd never met. And the visits continued, and he was open to hearing what God's Word said. He was open about admitting what he'd done wrong and, and how foolish all the decisions he'd made up until that point had been. 
And he went through an adult instruction class and he was confirmed in jail with a paralegal as the witness to his confirmation. And he asked me, would you serve as a character witness at my sentencing? And I said, well, I, I can testify to your character now. I can't say anything about before we met. He said, that would be good enough. So I went there on the appointed day in February, and there were about a dozen other character witnesses. He had been a very popular young man in school. Some of his teachers from middle school and high school were there to testify on his behalf. And I said what I had to say, but I already had this sinking feeling that it wasn't going to matter to the judge, and it didn't. He just looked at that young man after he heard us all out, and he said, after some prefacing, I sentence you to 80 years in the state penitentiary, 40 of them suspended. And you just kind of sag when you hear that because you think this young man, he, he did something terrible, but he has some potential. And maybe if there were some leniency, some clemency, but there wasn't. And the judge was doing what a judge is supposed to do. A judge is supposed to protect society. A judge is supposed to see to it that justice is done. And justice was done by that judge. But I think back to that, and I think that's what God ought to do to me. He ought to say to me, you sin every day of your life. Your thoughts, your words, your actions, they weren't right. They weren't according to my law. But God justifies us. How can that happen? The answer is Jesus. The answer is faith in what Jesus has done for us. You know, ordinarily a judge who sets the guilty free, he'd be considered an unjust judge, right? Uh, a judge's job is to punish the guilty and to acquit the innocent. But it says there in Romans that God justifies the ungodly. He justifies the wicked. He justified us. How can he do that and still be a just God? And the answer is Jesus, that, that he punished his son Jesus. Jesus wasn't just marking time until his 33rd year when he died on the cross. He was keeping God's law for us, every bit of it, every clause in the law of Moses, every aspect of God's moral will Jesus was keeping for us. He was the flawless, holy Lamb of God. And then that holy life of his he took to the cross. And, and there he paid for all of our sins. He suffered the penalty that we deserved. And now on that basis, God says to us, I justify you. I declare you not guilty. There is nothing sweeter. There is nothing more surprising for the ears and the hearts of sinners than, than to hear God's verdict of justification that he has, for Jesus' sake, forgiven us all our sins. See, there's a, a, an objective aspect to justification and a subjective aspect to it in theology. Objectively, justification says that God, for Jesus' sake, has declared the whole world to be not guilty. It says that in the last verse of Romans chapter 4. He, Jesus, was delivered over to death for our transgressions, 
and raised to life for our justification. So that you can say that in the moment that God raised Jesus to life, he was declaring not guilty the entire world. It says that in 2 Corinthians, that God was not counting people's sins against them because of what Jesus had done. Well, people might conclude, well, then you're universalists, aren't you? You believe that finally everybody's going to get to heaven. No. Because there's the subjective aspect of justification. That, that verdict of justification of not guilty means nothing to anyone until they believe that verdict of justification, until the Holy Spirit creates faith in their hearts and causes them to believe that God actually has acquitted them of their sins. But when that happens, then that verdict of justification is ours. Then we can breathe freely. Then our hearts can be at rest. Our consciences can quit pounding. Our sins have all been forgiven through Jesus. God has taken them all away in the blood of his Son. He demonstrated the validity of that sacrifice by raising Jesus to life. And, and you see, this is always been the way that people have been saved. The Apostle Paul is at pains in Romans to show that. He says, Abraham. Abraham lived 2,000 years before the birth of Christ. Abraham believed God's promise that in him and his offspring all the peoples of the earth would be blessed. That was a promise of the coming Savior. He believed that promise and it says his faith was credited to him as righteousness. 2,000 years before the Savior was even born, Abraham was saved by faith. King David lived a thousand years before the birth of Christ. And he says in, in one of his great penitential psalms, Psalm 32, Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will not count against them. Where did that man, David, where did he find peace for his conscience? after he'd committed adultery with the wife of one of his most loyal soldiers, one of his mighty men, and then conspired to murder that man so that he could cover his sin of adultery. Where did he find peace for his conscience? He found it in God's promise of forgiveness in the coming Savior. Abraham, David, you, me. Through faith in Jesus, we are justified. Our sins are all forgiven. This passage, Romans 3.28, for we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law, elicited a lot of controversy when Martin Luther published his translation of the Bible, his German translation of the Bible, because he put a word into the German translation that doesn't occur in the original language in the Greek. The word he put in there was the word Allein in German, alone. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith alone, it says in Luther's translation. And as he revised that translation over the years, he kept that word alone in there. And, and you can't find an English translation, at least I could, couldn't find one, that, that keeps that word alone in there. But he, he contested for it this way. He said, this is how you say it in German. If you want to say, the farmer brought grain and no money, in German what you would say is, the farmer brought a line grain, alone grain, and kind money and no money. 
He says that's the, the full and clear way to say it in German, then there's no mistaking. There was no grain that the farmer brought, just or no money that the farmer bought, just grain. And he kept that word in there. And you know, it was it was necessary to be exceptionally clear about this for the people of Luther's time, because you realize what was going on there. There were people who were buying indulgences because they wanted to have some indication for themselves, for their loved ones, that their time in purgatory could be shortened. And so they parted with some of their money to buy those indulgences and, and, and maybe gain a little bit of that peace. Today on the church calendar is All Saints Day, and that was a big day in Wittenberg, Germany, because the elector Frederick the Wise had a large collection of holy relics, things like what was purported to be a tooth of one of the saints, a splinter from the cross of Jesus, a wisp of straw from the manger of Jesus. And the idea was that if you spend time looking at those holy relics, and you say a prayer, and maybe make an offering over those holy relics, then well, then maybe you'll be closer to heaven. People were taking vows of chastity, obedience, poverty, entering convents and monasteries to try to find some peace of conscience, going on pilgrimages to try to do something to salve their guilty consciences. And it was against that backdrop that Luther's translation said, for we maintain that a person is justified by faith alone. And, and that is the sense of what it says here. It's not faith plus works. It's not mostly faith plus a little bit of works. It's by faith alone that we are justified. You see what that teaching does is it reminds us that our beliefs are to be drawn not from human traditions, not from human experience, not from the teachings of some man, but from Scripture alone. Sola Scriptura, we say in Latin. Scripture alone. And we are saved by grace alone. Sola gratia. It, it's not that there was something in me that moved God to justify me. He did this because of His grace alone. And we lay hold of this gift of salvation by faith alone, sola fide. It's not my good works that gets me to eternal life, that gets me to the kingdom of God, life eternal. It is by faith alone. And what that does is then it makes it clear that at the center of our belief, at the center of our theology, at the center of our hope is Jesus. Our faith is centered on Jesus, nothing else, not what I do, not what someone else says, but on what Jesus did for me through his holy life, his death on the cross, and his stunning resurrection on Easter morning. In Christ alone, we find peace and hope. I don't think I'm saying anything new to you folks this morning. This is something you've been hearing for a long time, isn't it? Almost every one of you. 
by grace alone, through faith in Jesus Christ alone. I didn't come here to say something new. I came here to rejoice with you at the blessings of the Reformation, to rejoice with you at 50 years of God's grace, at the unparalleled blessing of being able to hear this good news that Jesus has done it all for 50 years in this congregation. And my encouragement to you today is that in gratitude you would stay busy with that ministry of proclaiming the free grace of Jesus Christ. I heard already this morning about some new things that you've been doing at Apostles, and, and this congregation has, has always had a reputation for trying new things to get this message across to the people of this community, being leaders in the district and in the synod at encouraging that we not keep this good news for ourselves, but that we share it with other people. That's why it was such a blessing for me to be able to serve here as a pastor, is, is to imbibe some of that spirit. And, and it influenced me. It's been a blessing for me. And I pray that you will continue with that. We have been given a precious treasure in this wonderful truth that we are justified by grace alone through faith in Jesus Christ alone. May God bless you as you continue to proclaim this. Amen.